Hey y'all, welcome back to the Hunt Lift Deep podcast. I'm your host Luke, here with my co-host and cousin Perry. What's up, man? Mr. Cox, good to have you back on the grid. How's things going, brother? Good, man. It's definitely nice to be back. Um, obviously, we missed last week. Didn't have a podcast for you guys, so we're hitting hitting this one on Tuesday, and then we'll have it up by Thursday for you guys. So this will be a pretty recent one from Flash to Bang, which most of the time there's been a little delay. But it's definitely nice to be back, man. That was a long trip. It was honestly pretty good and got some good training in. Um, I learned a lot, but 30 days without a shower and no no beer. was definitely ready to get back. Yeah, I can imagine. can imagine for sure. Yeah, I have to take, take uh, some responsibility for the listener's sake for the uh, lack of an episode this past week. Um, I thought we were going to have enough to kind of <laughs> cover that time you were out there. And Evan and I had talked about knocking one out when we were had been uh, up in the mountains uh, a couple of these past trips, but we thought we were going to be good. So we didn't take any of our podcast shit, and so we didn't end up getting an episode done. So anyway, apologize to the listeners for that. But here we are, back in the saddle, and uh, going to play a little catch-up today, I think. so. Yeah, man, you need to catch up. I mean, shit, we haven't really talked. A couple short little texting, a couple phone conversations, but... There's been a lot, uh, a lot been going on while I've been gone. You and Evan been doing a lot of turkey hunting. He killed two, right? Yeah, he's killed two. It's been, dude, it's been fucking nuts. Um, been working my ass off during the week and working my ass off in the uh, in the weekends chasing chasing birds. And Evan's connected twice. I had a couple of close calls. We've had a lot of fun. We got a lot of work done up at the family farm. Had some developments there. And yeah, it's been been a busy four or five weeks since you and I have last connected. So it'd be good to go through it all. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, in, in typical Evan fashion, he's either the world's greatest or the world's fucking luckiest hunter. Just Dude, two birds down. I mean, killed one last year that you called in. Yeah, Jake Jake off the roost, and then two this year. I, I mean, I'm happy for him, but part of me is like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, dude, who, who are you telling? I've been getting after it fucking, you know, hour and a half before sun up to in Virginia right now, up until literally yesterday, we could only hunt until noon. And so granted, it's just half days. But ever since season came in, man, it's been, I've only been able to hunt weekends. So I guess I can't say I've been getting after it that hard. There's just no way I've been able to take any time off work to turkey hunt so far this year. But yeah, we've been getting after it and he's, I've had some, some slow mornings and some fun mornings, but man, he's, he's got two birds down and they were both cool hunts. Uh, I'm sure the next episode we have him on, which I think will be probably here pretty shortly. He'll want to go through all that. And there's a couple of good stories there to unpack. So I won't, I won't spoil that for everybody, but yeah, man, it's been fun and I'm, I'm stoked for him. He's, he's had a blast. We've had a blast together. It's, it's so, we, we, we talked about it at length, him and I these past couple of weeks, it's so much fun to be up there during the spring, you know, different time of year than we're typically used to. None of us grew up chasing turkeys, you know, really being that serious turkey hunters. And it's just been, it's been awesome to jump into that world and try to get, try to get more experience, try to learn every, that's the great thing about it is every morning out, every trip out, you get to learn something new. So it's been a blast. Yeah, man, I'm I'm definitely jealous. Uh, it's awesome that you guys have had that time. I was really hoping to try to get up there. When I found out I was coming home on the 29th, I was like, shit. And I talked to the old lady, and I was like, you want to do an impromptu trip to Virginia? And she was actually down with it, and I looked at plane tickets. So it was going to be like a grand for us to fly out there. And I was like, eh, probably yeah. not. 
that much wanting to That's go steep. on turkeys. Yeah, so not with. I mean, we already got the Alaska trip. She's flying back to Tennessee for a baby shower, so I mean, we got a lot of trips coming up. So figure we'll save the coins and I'll just focus on hunting here in Colorado. It'll be pretty cool because I've been doing some e scouting. I've got a couple places in mind, some river bottom areas, kind of towards the east, and then I've got a couple places up towards the high country. Um, I don't know on the eastern side if I want to be more in Demiriams or Rios. Honestly, don't know. But either way, it'd be cool. And then obviously be Miriam's when I go up top. And then I'm going to try to get out there at least one day with Evan because he's flying out um, shit next weekend. And so it'll be cool to be able to hunt with him. Do the Miriam's and the Rio's overlap at all? I mean, honestly, I have no clue what the what the Western uh, demographics look like for the subspecies out there. Do they, do they overlap or do they stay pr- fairly distinct? My understanding is there's definitely some overlap. Honestly, don't know that much about it. Um, I know the Rios, there's a lot more Rios like down south uh, in southern Colorado. And then the Miriams are kind of up in the north and then in the high country. But I think like on the eastern plains, there's both. And I've been seeing guys on Instagram that I follow from the area that have been popping Miriams from like the eastern plains. So I think there's definitely overlap. I don't really know the habitat differences um, that they like. So I need to do a little more research on that, to, to be completely honest. I think the Miriams are easier to kill, uh, is my understanding, than the Rios. But, dude, I mean, I barely know Easterns, much less the two species out here. And then being gone for that month without my, you know, that would put in the prime time for me to do most of my research. I just did about a week's worth of research prior to leaving. And then I've been trying to play a little bit of catch-up. But I've been, it's been balls to the wall since I got home. We're, we got rail ops. So, like, when we go down to California, you got to load up all the equipment on trains. And so you think of a brigade, which is multiple battalions worth of tanks and Bradleys and vehicles. No, we got to get them off the trains. So it's this week I was hoping to get some hunting in, but I don't think it's going to happen. So it'll probably won't be until next week that I actually get to go and try to chase some birds. Yeah, not to mention that you got a, a pregnant wife and you've been gone for over a month. And I'm sure there's about – hundred things to do on that front, getting ready for the the new baby and everything there on, on the home front. Oh yeah. And she's got the nesting thing in full swing. Um, came home to, I don't know, a shitload of packages. Uh, <laughs> we got the crib and the glider and the carrier and the car seats. And, you know, luckily we're blessed with a big family and great friends that have been buying shit off the registry so i don't think we really bought anything but Bruce got home and was like what is all this dude so crack uh, a beer grab the allen wrench and start putting shit together and fucking get used to it for the next couple of years because that's what your life's gonna be yeah for sure yeah i think uh that might be something me and me and evan and then andrew's actually flying in this weekend for the gender reveal party so we might uh i might have to put them to work help them build some of the bigger shit yeah for sure that'd be good i yeah, it's exciting, man. I, I honestly, uh, <laughs> looking back, there's a whole lot to do in those days when you're getting ready for, especially the first one, man. When you, from the female perspective, they get that nesting syndrome when they're, you know, they're trying to get everything just right and squared away and perfect, and you're sitting there going, "Do we really need all this shit?" And they're saying, "Yeah, of course we do." And you're like, "Oh my god!" It's literally a conversation we had like two days ago. Yeah. That's a conversation that I'm pretty sure every couple has had and every guy sits there going, this is absurd. But at the end of the day, it'll all work out and uh, it's, a, it's at least an exciting time for you. Yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to know what the little shit is. Um, 
we could have found out like the first week I got down to California, but just with obviously me being gone and everything, we wanted to do it in, in person. So she got it in an envelope, gave it to a friend, and then we're going to throw a party. Party this weekend. I'm going to wear a poncho and a sombrero, and we're going to taco about a baby. Hell yeah. Well, Evan and I will be up in the mountains chasing birds, but uh, we'll. Uh, I think we're definitely going to either swing by for the for the virtual um you know the virtual portion of it or whatever or at least catch up with you afterwards if we get lucky enough to get on some birds on saturday yeah that'll be awesome definitely don't blame you guys for focusing on the birds i would uh, be doing the same if the, the roles were reversed and i had to watch it via google meet or whatever the hell we're using but it'll be cool that'll be awesome to know and then we can start caroline really wants to start you know, cracking down on names and we've got a few options, but I'm like, why, why would we talk, discuss names if we can eliminate 50% of them right off the bat? So let's just wait until we have the gender reveal and figure that out. And then we can just go from there and figure out names. Well, dude, Melissa and I didn't for our first, you know, for Jonah, we didn't settle on a, a name for a hundred percent sure until literally the morning that he was born, we had it down to two and we were kind of waffling back and forth between them. And, and uh, once he finally got here is when we, we made our ultimate decision. So you got plenty of time. Don't worry about all that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really too concerned about it. It'll it'll get named. But it is kind of stressful because you're like, man, this, this little bastard is going to be stuck with his name for the rest of his life. You don't want to fuck it up. Yeah, I hear that. It's definitely something that, that I thought about. It's like, at the end of the day, it's just a name. It's not going to change the person. But, uh, you know, with a name like, with a last name like Cox, you gotta at least take into <laughs> account some <laughs> some potential uh, very limited options there. Yeah, there's there's a few there's a few that are just flat out off the table. So yeah, Isaac, Anita, Ima, <laughs> yeah. Harry. There's a yeah. bunch of names that are just uh, we're just gonna leave those. I mean, I got the family name Harden, H A R D I N, which is an awesome name. I love the name, but I like the name. The nah. Harden Cox. I mean, that's nah. the name he had, but I mean, I guess in the 1800s, it was a little different than having a Harden Cox in 2022 or 2021. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a, it'd be like boy named Sue, man. That kid would learn to learn to protect himself from day one. Yeah. Some bitch will throw hands. That's for sure. It'd be pretty funny. I got enough shit with just Luke Cox. So I can only imagine what oh, young Harden would have to go through. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, why don't you, uh... oh, sorry, you go. Yeah, I was going to say, why don't you uh, give the listeners and, hell, myself, a little bit of a just a quick and dirty synopsis on where you've been for the past month plus um, for your training course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the National Training Center down in Fort Irwin, California, Fort Irwin's in the middle of nowhere. It's like 30 minutes from Barstow. It's the, kind of the nearest area. It's just smack dab in the middle of the desert. And it's pretty funny. Um, I was actually commenting we were out there. Like, it actually looks a lot like Afghanistan, especially southern Afghanistan. So it was like, yeah, it kind of makes sense why we choose this place to set up all of our training. And it's just a massive, massive tract of land that is just awesome for big, big maneuvers. So you, basically you deploy there as a brigade, deploy in, in quotation marks. And uh, it's just, it's a, you simulate, like, invading a country, essentially. Right? you got a big, big scenario um, that you're building in and you're going in and you're like massing combat power within the area. And then you've got to go on a series of like an offensive and then you have a defense, like different things like that. 
and you're doing it as a brigade and so you've got a lot of combat power within a, within the maneuver space so it's pretty cool and me coming from the light world because i was in the 101st uh, prior to being the fourth infantry division i didn't really know a whole lot about the mechanized fight and the armor fight so um i did it as a planner i was a battalion planner and learned a ton honestly it was, it was pretty cool too because you know getting to you're practicing planning it's one thing you're kind of doing it in a vacuum but when you actually do the plans go through the process and then you get to see your plan actually come to fruition and, and they fight the plan it's a lot more rewarding as a planner yeah it's one thing i was going to ask you because i know you've you've done fairly extensive various training exercises throughout your military career but with this transition now from the light to the more um you know heavy armor stuff with this new assignment that you have this new unit you have what was that what was the learning curve like how different was it were there uh, some drastic changes some of the stuff basically stayed the same or how's that work out the difference is just everything that goes into it like in the light world all right it's like okay i've got my rucksack i've got my kit i got my rifle and i got my guys and that's literally like the extent of what you care about and then like in the 101st we do a lot of stuff with helos so you got all your you know your air mission planning and you know doing all that but as far as like the logistics and the maintenance, it's pretty minimal. Like you need water and food and bullets and that's about it. In the armor world, it's all about keeping your fucking vehicles in the fight mechanically. And so everything kind of runs around that and the, the, the maintenance on those vehicles. And that's something I've had to learn. And it's a big driving force. What your maintenance plan is, you know, you, you might lose a lot of weapons to like the quote unquote, like the enemy or a lot of uh, platforms, but, which are, you know, really it's the real world, like they're just breaking down. And so being on top of your maintenance, having thorough systems and knowing all that. And then obviously the fuel and the logistics aspect, like you've got a leash as far as how far forward you can get without bringing up those trains that all your logistics. So there's just, it's a more complicated problem set because there's just more variables and the scale's bigger. You know, in the light world, you might be doing a 16 click movement into an objective. And that's kind of like a far-ish movement you know, 16 clicks might just be your initial movement in the, the mechanized world. And then you're going, you might do, a, you know, we did during our live fire, we were doing like 40 clicks per iteration. And that's, you know, so your clicks at a kilometer. So it's significantly bigger maneuver space and the fight is bigger and your engagements are significantly further out. And so, well, if it's a thousand meters and in, in the light world, cause you get your two forties, which is your, you know, seven sixty machine guns. That's kind of the, the furthest you can reach out. You know, when you've got, you know, 25 mic mic on a Bradley, you can get engagements, two and a half clicks, you know, 120 is on the tank. You can, you know, three, three and a half, technically four, but it's really three ish clicks. Like it's pretty far. And then you look at some of the ranges on, you know, an Apache you can engage at 8k. Like it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's definitely different than your scope is significantly uh, larger in which your planning factors are bigger. And so you've got to just account for more things than you do in the light world. So it's just a more complicated problem set. So basically what you're saying is all these years, your old man was right. And that armor is a harder job than infantry. <laughs> uh, harder from the problem set standpoint and the planning, uh, probably honestly, um, the armor fight, but th that also includes mechanized infantry. But as far as the, the lifestyle and the day-to-day -day living, no, even roughing it for, for 30 days. I, you know, I don't think I walked more than, you know, wherever I was going to go take a shit and back. And then right. I was sleeping in my vehicle. You know, I have a 1068, which is like a command track vehicle, ton of room. Uh, you guys can probably hear my dogs going crazy, but 
uh, string up a hammock in there and stay pretty warm, stay pretty cool, like definitely dry. Like, I don't know how many dudes I've cuddled with in the light world as I'm sitting there jackhammering because I'm so cold trying to keep body heat going. Not to worry about that in the mech world. <laughs> yeah, I can just hear, I can just hear old Uncle Doug now saying, oh yeah, welcome to the, welcome to the armor world. You get the, the cush life, but the hard problem sets. So it's, it's interesting that it's kind of funny that here you are now several years into your military career and you kind of get this, this shift, this change of perspective. He's, I know he's been in your ear forever about, about armor. So it's kind of interesting to see how that played out. Yeah, it's funny. I'm actually in the same division that he was in during the invasion of Iraq. So both in fourth ID. And then my last unit, when I was a basic training commander, I was in 194, which was a unit he had been in. And it's just like, I didn't request any of it. It just happened. Well, I guess I technically requested Carson. But, you know, it's just funny how it has kind of mirrored outside of, obviously, the 101st. But it's been fun. I mean, I, I, honestly, I don't love the mech world. Uh, just culturally, there's a lot of differences from the light world. But, I mean, just the ass and the combat power you can bring to the fight is so much more. I mean, you look at a Bradley, like, 20, 25 mic mic is pretty fucking big it's 25 millimeter and you've got you know ap and he rounds so high explosive and armor piercing that you can utilize so it's it's quite a bit more than your machine guns when you're a light infantry platoon leader and you've got two 240s so you can bring a lot more a lot more ass to the fight yeah it definitely has its, its time and place I, I understand i mean from the outside looking in obviously i'm not in the service but have the have the good fortune of being surrounded by a lot of guys that, that have served and from the outside looking in, you know, it's takes, takes both, both kinds, depending on circumstances you find yourself in and in terms of a, of a preparedness standpoint and trying to, um, you know, put, put forward the best fighting force that we can. I, I get the, I would think it would be an advantage for someone like you to have experience from both worlds, be able to draw on, on both sides and then, you know, put that in practice if the day ever comes that you need to. Yeah, definitely. And that's a big initiative of the Army is to try to make us as officers well-rounded. And because everybody wants to stay light, right? That's the sexy thing. Um, but push you to the mech side. So you got to do, you know, one-on-one just so you have that balance and that well-roundedness. And there's pros and cons to it, right? I think by, you know, to a certain level, we prevent us from becoming true masters of a craft. Like the armor guys are so much better than the mechanized infantry guys at like the vehicle fighting. And it's because that's their job, right? They only are going to fight like tankers or tankers, like the 11 Bravo infantry guys that are sitting in this Bradley and driving it around, like got no training on it and basic training. Like it's not probably what they joined to do. They probably joined to go jump out of airplanes or repel out of helicopters. And so like culturally there's like differences there. And so I think we could, probably do a little bit of a better job, but having the well-roundedness is definitely good. And when you look at like the future of warfare and what that looks like with near peer threats, you know, Russia, China, it's really probably more likely a hybrid threat coming out of, you know, Russia looking at like the annexation of Crimea, which I actually talked about a little bit with uh, Garrett and Caleb, it's going to be a mech fight. It's going to be an armor fight. And so like having, you, you realize how, <laughs> When you're sitting there with, uh, at one point, our, I was in the talk, so I wasn't in a, you know, a tracked vehicle with a, with a gun. So I had an M4, and we've got like a T90 threat, which is the Russian equivalent of our Abrams tank. And you realize how insignificant your fucking M4 really is um, in the scope of that. So it's definitely going to be a, a mechanized armor fight in the future if we look at those near-peer threats. Yeah, as an, 
interesting contrast too when you compare what we, where we've been for the last couple of decades over in the Middle East. I mean, hell, at this point, we're knocking on the door of supposedly withdrawing permanently from Afghanistan here in just a few months, and that's been, I mean, not <laughs> again, not coming from a, a place of expertise, but um, it's been a very different type of conflict and a very very different. Um, tactic and engagement, uh, you know, presence or, or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see if and when that shift happens, if it's, if it's permanent, if it's something that's strictly, you know, kind of just where we are at that point. But it's, it seems to me like that's kind of a 180 from where we've been in the Middle East. Yeah, it definitely is. You're getting back to a, uh, kind of like what the army looked like in the nineties kind of like when Mel Man was coming up and it's with, you know, the training rotations into the CTCs, which are the National Training Center or uh, GRTC, the Joint Readiness Training Center down in Fort Polk, Louisiana. And there's another one in the uh, uh, JMRC in, in Germany, which actually may be going to next year is what it's looking like. But it's uh, it's interesting, you know, we're kind of getting back to that peacetime preparing, you know, almost a Cold War type mentality and that you're preparing for a threat that you may or may not face, but you're still like tailoring to that threat. So it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, and when you look at the, the Russian tactics and, and what they do, it's warfare is going to have to evolve and we're evolving as, as the army, but it's, it's slow. Honestly, it's too slow. I think um, they evolve quicker than we do. And they're actually utilizing Syria, Crimea, like these different fronts to refine and change their tactics and their technologies and they're faster they're becoming faster than we are we're still a giant just slow machine of bureaucracy as we try to adapt and change what makes us so much slower is it the bureaucracy is it all the red tape or, or why are they so much quicker is it that it's more of an authoritarian style of governance i mean wh where's the difference yeah all the above right so like massive budget budgetary you know shifts have to go through congress obviously there's different committees for different uh defense budgetary committees and all that stuff and then you look at just culturally as well we've got just a little one more resistant to change and then two you've got this massive mission I mean, the army is the like the, the largest organization the u.s army is like the largest organization in the world like it's huge and it gets lost on a lot of people and anything that's massive is hard to shift, right? It's like the Titanic. Like you can't turn it on a dime. It's why it fucking sank. And the army is kind of the same way. Like it, it just takes a lot to move it. And you see a lot more flexibility with like more specialized units, um, your smaller units and like the, the special operations community. And then some of the more specialized like infantry, like the 82nd and 101st, they tend to get in the 10th mountain as well. Like get some of the better gear quicker, but you look at like an armor brigade, it's just very slow to retrofit and change. Like there's all this new technology out there for, different weapon systems and upgrading all this shit, new technology, but we're still operating on shit that was made in like the fucking, you know, eighties, nineties. And that's one of the reasons why we have such maintenance issues is our fleet is just ancient. And so we really need to get updates and get new shit fielded. And then looking at some of the new technology for weapon systems on the actual vehicles is going to really help with survivability and lethality, but it's just slow. And honestly, you, it may not even be until the conflict act actually happens then all that red tape starts to go away the money starts flowing and then you know it's what you see in the past yeah once that need is there i'm imagining that at that point it's a little easier for them to justify you know letting off the reins a little bit and, and pulling off pulling back some of that red tape but from a civilian perspective you kind of hate to think that that's actually the case and that here we are operating with stuff that's 
hell as old as we are or older maybe and when you know how many billions and trillions are we spending on all sorts of federal programs not just military spending but across the board you know i would like to think that the guys out actually out there you know you evan some of the other guys on the team the guys that we know the guys that i know family members and all and all the dudes you serve with actually have some some funding behind them to get them some some stuff that's a little more up to date well i think that's the problem is that there is all this funding and it goes into R&D programs. It goes into all this stuff, but a lot of that stuff never actually comes to fruition or never gets fielded. And so there's money that goes, but it never gets down to the end user or you get these programs that are, there's such a disconnect from like the acquisitions core and like what is actually like the feedback from the guy on the ground that's utilizing it, that by the time it gets down, it's either already obsolete or it's just shit we didn't need in the first place. And I think we should really streamline that process and get the direct feedback. And there's programs to do that and they're working it. It's a problem set that everybody knows about, but it just isn't getting better any faster. And so I think we, if we would invest more into the end user and focus on the warfighter, him, himself or herself, and then less on like the overall technological shit, we'd probably be better off in the long run and just get like focusing on, I mean, it's very simple and it's kind of cliche in the army, but I literally like me personally and my like philosophy and like, I'm getting ready to take command, but my command philosophy is simple. It's shoot, move, communicate. That's literally what I fucking care about. That's it. Um, everything else is just bullshit. And you're seeing it already coming through the army. I mean, just the military as a whole and the politi- politicization and all the fucking just, you know, the, all the extra stuff you've got to do as far as, you know, classes. And, you know, I, I don't want to go into too much detail and random about that shit for obvious reasons, but like it, the focus starts to be less about the lethality and it starts to be more about the extraneous, you know, echo chamber bullshit that's permeating our society everywhere today, instead of focusing on like the one thing that I think matters, which is, you know, being able to kill the other guy before he kills you. Yeah. Doing your damn job, you know, at the end of the day, all, that's, that's what you guys are there for. And there's, it is a big organization. The army is, and then you, you, you consider the other branches and, and all of the, the different, you know, armed services but at the end of the day your job is to be competent proficient and um everything else is kind of noise so yeah it absolutely is but i mean it's kind of the way of the world right now and i think it really will take some sort of significant conflict for that to start to dry up as the focus shifts back on what matters which is lethality and survivability but i mean we'll see see how it goes it's all cyclic you know the army does this shit the the clinton administration my dad was telling me how when he was a you know tank platoon leader back in the 90s they were fucking driving around golf carts throwing golf balls to like simulate maneuvers because they didn't have the fuel the money for fuel to actually drive the tanks fun fact it takes eight gallons of gas to start a tank damn yep they're gas not diesel yeah they're jpa but yeah yeah, it's diesel, but fuel. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. You can tell I'm not. I'm not a vehicle guy. Still, <laughs> fuel. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, well, dude, p- pivoting from that, um, that's all super interesting, and you know, we could probably do a whole podcast just on some of that stuff. But to get back to a personal level, I know the last time we chatted here, we had uh, we had PD on, and we were talking a whole lot about you know, some of the physical stuff and, um, rehab as you were, you had just recently 
torn your quad and were you'd been doing your your training program prepping for the uh you know the lift and the and the marathon with pete and um so how's the how's the training or how's the rehab slash training been while you were at ntc have you been what have you been able to do what haven't you been able to do what's that been been like yeah so i took my uh my stem machine which is like the stimulation it's got the like electrodes and puts like electricity into your muscle essentially and i, I utilized that for the first probably week and a half that i was there pretty much every day did some stretching did some different working and i tried to stay pretty active walking around just to keep the blood flow but once we started the actual training like they call it going into the box um i didn't really have time for a lot of that and so i didn't really do much until we came out but it, honestly i mean it all things considered, it's not too bad. And while I was there, it wasn't too bad. It would, it would just be like, I would forget because it wasn't really bothering me. And I would like, and I jumped out of an LMTV at one point and like, I think that hurt pretty bad. Or like, I, you know, climbed on something or like, you know, jumping off my track, or like whatever, like, you're like, fuck that hurt. Um, but I definitely didn't do, you know, what I would like to have done. I mean, obviously I've liked been biking every day and all that shit. So, um, it's, it's pretty good. It's not a hundred percent. You know, I don't think I'm going to be squatting 500 pounds anytime soon, but I'm going to start, I was supposed to start working out this week. I haven't so far due to rail ops. And then I drank a little too much a few days ago and was hung over for about a day and a half. So, um, <laughs> not making the wisest decisions. So probably start tomorrow, honestly, and then, uh, start just getting, I'm going to, Pete's going to actually come on. I think tomorrow we're going to do one for, for next week. And, uh, we can talk a little bit more because I know he really, he really, really wants to talk shit about the fact that I'm not doing the marathon anymore. Um, so he, he's very excited for that. Of course he does. Yeah. So he, he told me, he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to have a solid 10 minutes for me just talking shit. I was like, all right, that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't Sign me up for that. Yeah, I'm I'll just always... sit there and listen. Um, yeah. But yeah, so they actually canceled – fucking COVID man they canceled the half marathon it's virtual only so I was gonna sign up to do the half marathon so they're still doing the marathon which I don't think there's any way I can do it but I'm gonna do the half or I wasn't gonna do the half marathon now I'm just gonna defer it to next year because I don't fucking care about doing a virtual half marathon like that defeats the purpose for me dude how the hell do you do a virtual marathon what what do you do fucking take a selfie or take a video of yourself running a half marathon the entire time I don't No, you just use like one of those apps like Strava or you know, the Under Armour app or whatever, and, and you just run it, and then it's like, oh, hey, look, I did a half marathon on my own. Super cool. <laughs> like, to me, that's like, yeah. defeats a lot of the purpose, you know? Exactly. Um, I can go run 13 miles. I'm glad I paid $100 to, you know, run 13 miles on my own, so that's pretty right. fucking cool. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, really, I think I'm just going to scrap it for now, this whole challenge, and then uh, re reevaluate, probably try to do it again this fall. Um, but some of that's going to depend on scheduling. I mean, we got a bunch of stuff coming up with, with work and everything else. And I think I'm about to get really, really busy. So I'll kind of play it by year. Yeah. Uh, so forget. Yeah. About to have a kid. So that's also, I'll be taking command and having a kid and then, you know, have a potential training deployment on the horizon. So I have a lot of shit going on. Yeah. Well, that sounds like the perfect time to start a, start a intense training regimen. So sure there'll be plenty to keep you busy there yeah and we're you know aggressively expanding hle so it's not not much going on at all yeah 
it's fun times, man. Life keeps life exciting, as a guy I work with always says. So better than being bored, I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't trade. I mean, I like being busy. I think I get more efficient the busier I get. So it's it's definitely better. I mean, actually, on that note, we just dropped fuck what is it five new hats? I think it's five. So you guys definitely go check out the new hats. We got uh the wax cav- canvas, uh, dry duck dad looking hats that uh caroline loves those she was a big force behind those and so was garrett he was really wanting the wax canvas that that had so we got those um i think those are going to do pretty well we've sold four or five of them already which i just dropped it two hours ago so that's pretty cool and uh honestly i didn't order that many so if you want one now uh, grab them because i'm gonna they're probably gonna sell out i don't know probably by next week and then uh we got some of the uh soft trucker hats, which we used to have, got rid of them and brought them back. Cause I used to make the patches myself. I didn't want to do that anymore. So we brought those back and then we just have another structured uh, trucker hat, which is coyote Brown. It looks pretty good. I like the way that one turned out. So we've got several options now. We're trying to just expand it because everybody's got different tastes and keep giving you guys what you want. So definitely give us your feedback, leave us a review. If you buy it, let us know if you like it, if you don't, if you want something different. So, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Caroline there too. I know she was a huge part of of uh, keeping the, the ship moving while you were gone. So definitely shout out to her. That's awesome. I know she's been kicking ass and taking names. She got a full-time job sitting there, you know, growing a human being and still picking up the slack while your ass is out playing G.I. Joe. So props to Caroline for keeping everything going, man. Oh, definitely, man. I couldn't do any of this without her. I mean, she's phenomenal. She has really taken – you know, the business by the, by the reins and it's kind of running a lot of the day-to-day stuff. Uh, honestly, once the baby comes, she's not going to teach anymore. Um, she'll probably just be running the business full time, which would be pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's still a lot of work. I mean, and it's not that rewarding sitting down there doing orders, taking inventory, running to the fucking UPS all the time. Like it's a pain in the ass. And I mean, we, we slowed down a little bit uh, with orders, mostly just new folks, I think, because I wasn't doing all the Instagram marketing while I was gone. But we still had a lot of orders while I was gone, so she was crushing it. So I definitely shout out to her. She's pretty phenomenal. Well, that's the stuff, yeah. It may, it may not feel all that rewarding right now. And, hell, I mean, we've touched on it at other times in other, other conversations. But anytime you're you're operating a small business or anytime you're trying to build something from the ground up, there's always going to be a whole lot of stuff behind the scenes that's not not that glamorous, not that sexy, and not that uh, honestly fun at times. But at the end of the day, it's going to put you on the path you need to be on. It's going to get you where you need to be, and then you're going to look back one day and say, "Man, that was rewarding as hell." And I'm you know I'm glad I put in the time. And you're definitely fortunate and and uh, and you know lucky to have a partner by your side that's that shares the same goals that you have and has the same mentality, same attitude and is willing to, to take on those challenges because that's, you know, it's, it's commendable. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it definitely is. And like, like I said, I couldn't do it without her and having the right person next to your side makes a huge difference. And then, you know, like you said, you know, putting the time in now, I mean, I'm already wouldn't trade it. You know, it's, it's worth every second I've spent so far, just the feedback we get. Like I sent you that one letter um, that we got from that fella. It was just, awesome awesome feedback yeah i mean it's just shit like that just makes it it's like yeah i'm not gonna stop doing this no that was awesome man i I was evan and i were actually uh walking in the woods up at peach bottom when you sent us that 
and we had we had set up on this bird trying to call it in didn't end up panning out and we were walking out changing gears and um you know just kind of running and gunning and got that message from you and we both pulled it up and read it i was like dude fan mail and i mean he was it was it was just awesome to read and what you know it was completely unexpected and that was the kind of thing that man that was pretty cool to see yeah i've been blown away i don't send you everything and you know you're not on the social media so you miss some of it but you know the, the big ones i'll send you but we get I mean, we get messages honestly daily just the people saying they just you know got on the podcast or whatever and it's it's super cool it's it's probably one of the most rewarding parts of my life you know, if we're being honest not to be melodramatic but like just having folks say like hey you know I've learned all this or, you know, you're helping me with my mindset. I mean, fuck, Caleb was like, oh, dude, I listened to that podcast. I'm getting out of debt. And I was like, well, fuck, man. That wasn't our most popular podcast. Like I said, I think a lot of people don't want to listen to us talk about finances and shit. But if one person gets something out of it, it's fucking worth it to me. Absolutely, man. I was I wasn't expecting that at all. And when, when Caleb said that, that I mean, hell, if, if he's literally the only one that that takes anything we said and actually put something into action, then it'd be damn worth it. Cause I mean, hell the reality is you and I aren't, you know, we're not finance guys. We're not financial advisors, obviously. And that podcast we knew going into it, we talked about doing a podcast along those lines for, for some time. We knew going into it, it probably wasn't going to be something that was, you know, the most popular or got the most, the most ratings or reviews, but something we both care strongly about. And so for him to, for someone within our own team to take that and say, Hey, this actually, gave me the encouragement and gave me the initiative I needed to put some stuff into the action, dude. That was awesome to see. Yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely. And, you know, we got that one review and the guy was like, great feedback on the podcast. Cause the guy, I don't really like the finance stuff. And it's like, you know, it's fine. Like this isn't a finance podcast. So people don't come here for that, but it, it's like we talked about on that, that episode, we don't have to rehash it all, but like, it's so important because you have to look at yourself like holistically as a man or a woman or a person or whatever. And, to do the things you want to do to hunt, to live, to eat, to like be able to afford to put a full gym in your garage, to be able to afford to go on cool hunts. Like you got to have that holistic, you know, concept in your head of like how you're going to fix it, how you're going to set up and be able to do the things you want to do. So it's just important. And it's a conversation worth having. And, you know, it's, maybe it's not for everybody. Maybe everybody already knows. I mean, that's why nobody needed to listen to it because our listeners are, have that shit squared away, which would be very awesome. But, yeah, I hope they do, and, and I hope they're all smarter than we are and have made, <laughs> made better choices and set themselves up better than we have at times. But um, I, I, I think you're right. I think the conversation is always worth having, and even if one person gleans something from it, it's worthwhile. So why don't we uh, – don't go too much into detail with, with Evan because I know he's going to want to help tell his stories of the two birds he uh, he put down. But just from your perspective, the past couple of weekends, man, how's uh... – How's it been going with the turkey hunting? I know you haven't had success from the bird on the ground aspect, but I'm assuming you're learning a ton and having a good time while you're doing it. It's been a blast. It has been a, uh, it's, you know, last year was an absolute roller coaster of a ride for turkey season. And this year has been every bit the same. Yeah. I haven't connected with one yet, which has been super frustrating. And, but on the other hand, we've had some, some really fun, um, some really fun moments, had a few close encounters. I've been, I had one in particular uh, this past weekend that I'll, I'll get into here in a minute. But, dude, from opening day, 
um, literally opening day out there at Peach Bottom. I was up there by myself. Evan wasn't able to make it up that weekend, and I was the only one out there. And by 8 o'clock the first morning, I had called a gobbler in and had a hen come in, actually, as he was moving. So I'd set up down at the bottom, kind of by the creek. Um, you know where the uh, the cactus rock is out there at our, our farm? Oh, yeah. So I'd set up in that area. You know, we'd been seeing them down there kind of in the in the bottoms in the open a couple of times when we'd been up there doing some of our work weekends. And I said, yeah, I've seen them down there, too. Last yep. year, I went after one that I saw running across and I tried to do like hybrid stock. We call it like a spot stock and call, but it didn't work. So I got out there, got there early, set up some decoys, um, tucked myself into the old fence line there and a bunch of, you know, brush, nasty shit kind of out in the open, but also kind of, you know, covered by the, by the brush and the briars and so forth. And ended up striking up a gobbler coming out of the spruce field, probably 20 minutes after, after sunup. And it was probably a couple hundred yards away when it, when it, when I first caught a glimpse of it and started slowly kind of working its way towards me. But then a hen came out between me and the gobbler over there near where that big rock is as you cross the branch. And so, this hen started feeding directly towards me and basically coming right to my decoys, just super relaxed, uh, just taking her time, going slow and feeding. And the gobbler started doing the same thing behind this hen. And here I am like, you know, seven fifteen, seven thirty, opening day thinking, Holy crap, this is, this is potentially about to come together. The hen got all the way up to my decoys. I don't know, 25 yards, 30 yards out. And I was just sitting there, ready to go waiting for that gobbler to come in he comes in to about 60 maybe 70 yards and makes a hard beeline and goes over to peach bottom creek and went over there and i was like are you shitting me is this bird literally about to leave this hen and dude that thing flew across the creek and went off up into the woods up there up on the ridge and i was like I, it was it was wild i did not know what to make of that that's funny that's like uh on a meat eater and Yanni, like they, you know, everybody's like, Oh yeah. Turkeys are smart birds. And he's like, I think they're dumb birds that just bumble around. <laughs> they just have no idea what they're doing. And that's why they're so erratic and hard to kill. Not because they're smart because they're so dumb. They don't even know what they're doing next. <laughs> well, they're so unpredictable. And like, you hear all these, I mean, I've heard all these different things and, and a lot of times it seems like they're very true and they're based on a whole lot of, you know, time and experience, but you hear these things like, Oh, they don't like to cross barriers and all if they're hinned up, they're going to stay with the hen. Well, I mean, he wasn't hinned up. He, he didn't come in with that hen, but then he saw her and got on her. But then he promptly left her, and he flew across a large a large water body and went off up into the woods. So, I mean, and honestly, that's just kind of been a a, 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 a synopsis or, a, you know, it's a good way to paraphrase my whole season. It's just been highs and lows. Like, you know, I've had mornings where – so I, I've actually been on that – what I'm pretty sure was that same bird over in that same area of the farm a couple other times my buddy spencer came up and hunted with us not this past weekend but the weekend before and we got on that bird one morning but we think he was across the neighbor's property uh over in that field up there up behind the church um and we couldn't get him to cross the fence line and come back on our property and it's just been it's just been that roller coaster man just those highs and lows and evan and i this past weekend he he shot that his second bird pretty early. I went up trying to get on this, this same bird up in that same area. 
I don't think it was up there. I think he must have roosted somewhere else that morning. Didn't hear anything. Just dead. Evan had a crazy exciting morning, which I'm sure he'll get into when he comes on. Ended up killing his gobbler, and we met back at the cabin and then went back out for the for the second part of the morning. Ended up setting up up on the up on the power line, um, up on the ridge, kind of up near the northeast corner, you know, mm-hmm. and got a gobbler to respond, and this thing started coming in hot, and um, we moved quickly, called back at him once. He was coming in, was clearly getting closer, and we got set up, put the decoys out, and he started coming towards us, coming in fast. This thing got right on top of us. I mean, he was less than 20 yards away. He was probably 12, 15 yards, something like that. And Evan and I were set up on the same tree. He'd already killed his bird that morning, so he didn't even have his gun with him. He was just calling for me. And he got his phone out, and he was trying to film. (laughs) And, dude, he was set up to my left. And from where I was set up, I had this tiny little pine and pine tree in front of me and all this thick shit for where this bird had come out on the field edge. And I couldn't see his head, man. I just didn't have the shot. But it was funny because Evan in the video, you can see it. He has a clear look at this bird's head for like, you know, a couple of seconds. And again, this is like 12 yards, maybe 15 yards at the most. And uh, the bird came in. I, I didn't have a shot. And I was like, you know, I, I just, I didn't take it. Next thing you know, the bird sees us. He knew something wasn't right and he got out of there. So it was a, uh, it was Damn. fun. Yeah. I mean, it was textbook, man. As far as calling him in, get him to react. I mean, he was gobbling. It was, I mean, he was fired up. It was, it was an awesome hunt, but I didn't take the shot. Didn't have a clear shot. Didn't feel comfortable taking it. Could I have taken it? I don't know. Maybe in hindsight, I've, you know, analyzed that moment about a hundred times in my head since then, but anyway the long and short of it is i didn't take the shot and that bird lived so well i i don't think it's if you don't feel good about a shot it's definitely definitely not the wrong thing to not shoot it you know so you can't be upset there and you know maybe maybe you could have but it, it's better to err on the side of caution i think in, in that regard and we, we've all talked about it in the past we've taken shots we, we wish we had back so i think it's definitely better to err on the side of not taking a shot it was funny in the video that Evan was taking. He was like, after the bird, because I thought I was really, you know, thinking and hoping he was going to take at least one more step from where he stopped. Dude, if he had taken one more step, even or certainly two more steps, gotten past that little pine tree that was in front of me, I had him right there. But he just stopped perfectly, lined up behind that tree. And but again, Evan could see him, and he was filming. And after the bird turned around and left and made a beeline out of there, he was like, "Why didn't you shoot?" I was like, "Dude, there was a." there was a little pine tree right in front of me. And afterwards, Evan was like, man, it's like, uh, I might've taken the shot, but you know, hell at least, at least respect for having the discipline not to. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know where there was the right decision. I wouldn't know unless I pulled the trigger and either killed him or didn't. But I mean, the reality is I get it. Sometimes you have to kill or we have to, uh, shoot birds twice to kill them. That's, that's not an uncommon occurrence when it comes to turkey hunting at all so but i didn't i didn't chance it and here i sit without a bird so i think something i've figured out just based on my extremely limited experience right i've called one bird in is i wish i'd been more aggressive with the shot and the fact that like i was trying to like i've kind of mentioned this story in the past but i was with carter in north georgia 
we've been calling all morning and like we've been talking to like several birds and the, the track that he hunts is pretty small so we don't have like a lot of options as far as moving around there's only like a couple of good spots it's it's basically just like the bottom area along a creek and so you can basically just set up different spots along the creek it's a great piece of property beautiful um and so we were set up in a pretty good spot I had a lot of the decoys out and i called and we've been calling i mean there's a hen i've been talking on top of for a while and then the gobbles they've been gobbling back and forth but i kind of gotten lazy and like kind of shifted and was like laying on my back and when he flew in i was laying like i did not have a sh- like a good way to shoot with the, the gun i was trying to do the kind of the deer hunting thing where you just kind of slowly ease around to get the, the shotgun up i mean he was right at 40 which i was very comfortable popping in there and i should have just been like they grabbed the shotgun, like snapped up and skadoosh and shot the fucking thing, but I didn't. And because they don't, they're not quick twitch. You know, you, I, something I realized when I've, I've bumped them is they just kind of like meander out. Maybe they'll take off and fly, but it's not, you have some time. It's not like a deer to where they're going to just get out of there. So just being, you can be a little more jumpy, a little more aggressive with your movement right before you shoot. But if you're aggressive with your movement and you're not ready to shoot, they're going to see you and they're going to, they're going to move because they just see everything. So I think it's got to be like a real quick flash to bang thing. Well, it's funny. Cause actually I remember us talking about that and you tell me about that hunt uh, after it happened and going through that. And as this bird was coming in on us along this field edge with all this, you know, thick stuff in between us, I was kind of thinking about that. And actually the way I was set up, I had to turn around and, and get ready to shoot left-handed. I didn't, I would have had to turn my entire body and like shift around the tree to shoot right-handed, which you know, is what I naturally shoot. So as this, as Evan and I can hear this bird coming down on us along this field edge, he was like, I think you're going to shoot left-handed. I was like, yeah. So I went ahead and made the quick shift, got the gun to shoot left-handed and went ahead and put it up. Well, as he was coming in, I'm thinking about remembering, you know, kind of what you said about how you have to, you know, just kind of, you can't try to, you know, go nice and slow and easy like a deer and try and try not to see a movie. You just got to do that, that quick movement and get on them. But he stopped right in front of that tree. And I was, I was thinking, man, one more step. And then, and I, cause I wasn't set up from where it was. I, w- I would have had to move my gun, you know, a couple of inches at least. Um, I was hoping he was going to stop before that, which I had a, a tiny little window, but he didn't. And so, I was like, man, one or two more steps. I can make a quick, quick adjustment here and take the shot, and then it just never happens. So, but it's like you said, it's all it's all a chance to learn. It was it it was honestly one of the most textbook turkey hunts I've had in terms of uh, just hearing a gobble, uh, responding to a call, moving in on him, you know, getting set up, and then having him come in. I mean, it was it was honestly straight out of the textbook um which they've it's been honestly dude it's been a little hit or miss with their vocalizations this year out there which honestly was also kind of the same as last year um i don't know whether it's evan and i've speculated a couple of the reasons why they they may not be talking as consistently which i'm not exactly sure but this one for sure was and so it, it was fun we definitely learned something and Hopefully, hopefully this next weekend, maybe, maybe I can connect. Yeah. My understanding that they're going to get more aggressive the later in the season as well, as those hens start to nest up the ones that have gotten bred. And so they're going to be a little more aggressive to go after as the hens dry up. 
So hopefully you can get it done this weekend. As far as your prep this year, how much did you uh, like practice your calling? Honestly, man, it was sporadic. It was there were times where I would get into it and practice it, and then you know you find every excuse under the sun not to do it. So I, I can't say that I've been I've been really hammering my practice and and uh, and calling. I will say, uh, <laughs> in one regard, it's kind of been nice that Evans gotten a couple birds already because this past weekend he he we went we went out together several times. And he did a good bit of the calling since he'd already killed. In Virginia, you can only you can only have a max of one a day. Um, so I haven't done I haven't hunted as much on my own the past couple weeks as I did the first couple weeks. But yeah, to to your point, certainly not not mastered the art of calling birds in yet. But um, I've practiced some and, and need to continue to do so. Yeah, I find I'm pretty I'm pretty good with a pot call. I'm pretty good is very, very relative, right? Like I'm, I can make sounds that sound turkey-esque. Um, with a mouth call, I can only do a couple things. I need to, and I honestly haven't fucked around with a mouth call. I need to order some new ones. The timing for NTC was pretty terrible for my turkey hunting. It sucks because it's looking like I won't get the turkey hunt next year either. I'm going to miss all that time. So whatever I get to do in Colorado would probably be my only turkey hunts for the next two years. It's just kind of shitty. Damn, man, that does suck. Yeah, such is life. Maybe there is there are there fucking turkeys in Europe. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's the same species. I think that's kind of an American thing. Yeah, I think so. I think it's only North American, and South American actually, because yeah. they've got that one down in South America, right? That looks like a fucking peacock. Yeah, what's that one called? Uh, I cannot. Florida's remember. got the Osce- It's the Osceola. Osceola. Mm-hmm. What's the, I'm gonna have to look this up. Yeah, I can't remember. South American turkey. Oscillated. Oh yeah, the oscillated. Yep. Dude, that thing is cool looking. Well, it's like blue. Go down there and try getting one of those. That'd be cool, man. We should do it. Well, I was, I was just thinking, if I do happen to get lucky this year and kill a Miriam, my first, at least Tom, <laughs> legally, my first legal turkey will be a Miriam. And then obviously at some point I will likely kill an Eastern. Then I just got to kill a Rio, which we can go down and hunt with, you know, Caleb or Garrett. Hopefully get a Rio pretty easy down in Texas. Go down so and hit up John and Andrew, try to get on an Osceola. Yeah. I mean, we've got people everywhere for the Grand Slam. So yeah. like, it's actually very doable. And then is it the super slam when you kill the oscillated as well? Uh, that sounds right. But yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't swear to it, but that'd, that'd be badass, man. Yeah. So I was like, huh. And the next, I mean, obviously if I don't kill a Miriam, I'm going to be two years behind the power curve with you guys, but. Well, not me so far, at least. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> It'll be two years of experience. I don't have though. I'll be a, cause like, I don't know if you can count last year as really, I mean, yeah, I guess I learned a lot and I called a bird in, but like, I wouldn't call it a successful turkey season. Right. Um, this year I'd really plan on doing a lot more, but is what it is. Hopefully. I mean, I've got a month, well, a little less now because uh, Colorado runs to, to 30, 31 May. So I should have some time to really get after it. It'd be pretty cool if you got on if you killed a Miriam's before you got your first Eastern. That'd be that'd be wild. Yeah, it'd be really wild. We won't count the the two hens I shot when I was in college. I think the statute of limitations has passed on those now. Yeah. 
that was a, that's a pretty funny funny story. I uh, I killed two hens with a twenty two, and uh, I don't even know what time of the year it was. I mean, it was the summer springtime. Definitely, definitely illegal. And uh, it's probably damn near ten years ago. And I, uh, I'll never forget. I think I told you this story. The barracks room I had, and this was when I was the core cadets at Virginia Tech. We were in like we called it the fishbowl because you had the fire doors on either side of it. There's only two rooms within this like weird addition on the building, and uh, they were because it was like the connection to the building. They were very big rooms, but we were very secluded. So like I was just like blasting some hillbilly ass music on a Sunday after I killed these things, and my door was halfway open, and I you know I'm sitting there in like a cut off T-shirt just at a card table in there. I'm butchering these birds, and my <laughs> The fucking uh, commandant, who's a two-star general, walks into my room with two prospective cadets or two parents from a prospective <laughs> cadet who's a high schooler and is like on a visit. And I'm sitting up there with two turkey carcasses as I'm butchering them up. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh, man. Uh, to his credit, I never gotten in trouble or he didn't hear anything about it. He just looked at me. Didn't say a word and slowly closed the door and backed out of there. <laughs> you stay classy, Cox. Oh, man. Yeah. Bringing the hillbilly to... You'd think you wouldn't need to bring the hillbilly to Virginia Tech, but all the fucking Northern Virginia kids, you actually do. Yeah, you you and I did our best. We, we definitely we definitely tried. I think you succeeded on that occasion, for sure. That's fucking hilarious, oh, yeah. man. Yeah, I think I... Definitely killed a couple of those fucking campus rabbits. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The old duck pond geese. Oh, shit. James graduated from the Corps yesterday. Did he really? Yep. Yeah. Shit, man. That's awesome. So he's got another year of college. Uh, so he'll finish up because he's an engineer. So he's going to have a fifth year. He'll finish up his engineering degree and do an extra year ROTC. But the way it works is you only have to do four years in the Corps. And so he'll get to live off post and or live off campus, not post, but live off campus and not live in the barracks and won't have to wear a uniform to every class. He can be like a normal kid. Hell yeah, man. Pretty sweet. That's cool. Yeah, that's good to know. I need to, need to hit him up to him. Congratulations. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, it was kind of cool. They did it virtually, like the graduation, so you could watch it. So I watched and got to watch him go through. It's pretty cool. I don't even remember mine, but whatever. He asked me. You know, on the Lane Hall, the that really old building that's in the center of Upper Quad. He's like, hey, where did you sign that? And I was like, dude, I have no, because every, every senior signs their name on it, on a brick. And I was like, dude, I have no idea where I signed that. I can't remember <laughs> to save my life. Well, shit, man, that's got to be, that was what, a decade ago? Yeah, eight years. Okay, 2013's when I graduated, yeah. Gotcha. So it's been a minute. We're getting old, man. I know, it's crazy. I told him he was he was bitching, you know. Got, he posted on Instagram and was bitching about the core or whatever. I was like, dude, I told you not to do that. I was like, go to Virginia Tech as a civilian and then go to OCS afterwards. Do not do the core. And he's like, yeah, I should have listened. <laughs> yeah, probably would have had a lot more fun. Yeah, I mean, you have a different types of fun in that environment, man. Like, I wouldn't trade obviously Austin and PJ and all the boys that came out of there that we're still friends with. But I mean. It's, it is just a different experience entirely versus going there as a civilian and getting to 
do the whole deal. But I mean, I had my fair share of fun. Some of it cost me because I got in some trouble, but uh, definitely did, didn't slow me down. And it probably slowed me down enough to keep me keep me on the rails. I definitely wouldn't have graduated if I was a civilian. You know what, man? I'm just thinking here as we're talking, we ought to have old Jim Nate on the on the podcast at some point and talk about some of the the differences and and his experience versus what you went through because he's obviously you and him are just as different as hell Evan and I are and both of you have very different career trajectories and professional you know professional goals and and uh, uh, direction etc so it'd be, it'd be interesting to see from his perspective now as just just having recently graduated versus what you remember your experience looking like kind of compare and tr- contrast because I know um, <laughs> I know there's definitely some some differences but I'd be interested to see if there's any overlap as well yeah, there's definitely some differences. I don't know how many buildings he climbed and if he had the cops knocking on his door, but no, it'd be, it'd be definitely cool to uh, to talk to him and, and get some of that those stories. I actually was standing in uh, one of the, the lines as we were leaving NTC, just waiting on the buses, and one of the young lieutenants, second lieutenant behind me, we were talking and he said something about his wife being from Roanoke, and I was like, oh, Roanoke, like, it's cool. I'm from down that way. I was like, I went to Virginia Tech. He's like, oh, sir, I went to Virginia Tech. I was like, oh, shit. So we got to talking, and we, we had, me and him had very similar kind of come come up to come up ins. So it was kind of cool to sit and talk talk to him and, and see what traditions are still around, which ones have shifted, and it's, it's kind of cool just to get that perspective. So it'd be cool to talk to James and figure out all that shit. Yeah, for sure. Get to hear him say uh, fucking – on the podcast a couple times. <laughs> yeah, tell him to fucking enunciate. He mumbles too damn much sometimes. Gets that peanut butter tongue. Be good. Be good practice for his his future professional endeavors. So, but we're uh, we're coming up on uh, about an hour here, and I think we're winding down anyway. So we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, it's kind of just a recap of my experiences and catching up a little bit with Perry. Um, well, shit, we didn't talk about the uh, the logging. You want to talk, talk about that real quick? Yeah, man, that was one of the things that you've missed out on in the past month. So, as... Yeah, I, I just found out, like, literally as me and Perry, before we got to talking to this, he was like, oh, yeah, lots happened. He's like, uh, we're going to log the farm. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's a, not a small thing. I'd like to know about this. Do tell. So you guys are hearing it as I'm hearing it. So let's let's get into it. Yeah, dude, it's been a it's been a wild. It's been a... I mean, I know your your life has been crazy as well, but... It's been a whirlwind of a past of a past month or, or so since you've had a really had a chance to catch up. And one of the things that's been going on is and hell, I mean, we talked about it beforehand, and I think we even maybe touched on it a little bit in one of our previous episodes talking about our family farm and some of our ideas we had for land management, et cetera, out there. So just a, a, a brief summary, I'll try to keep it brief. We uh the family farm up there in Virginia has a fairly decent uh, percentage of the, of the property or acreage wise that was planted in, in white pine um, about the time I was born, actually it's, it's plus or minus 30, 35 years old. And there's a couple little spots that are, that weren't planted, but there's just natural white pine growth that we've been kind of eyeballing uh, for the past couple of years to say, man, some of this timbers getting, getting pretty nice might actually have a little potential. So I just, kind of been mentioning it casually to um to the powers that be up there and long story short 
we had a forester and, and a timber land consultant come out there, take a look at the property, and we're going to do a timber harvest, a white pine harvest, on probably somewhere between 80 and 100 acres of the property. It's going to be a pure clear cut of the white pine. All of the hardwood species will be left. Um, from a hunting perspective and from a wildlife habitat perspective, we're going to basically leave um, all of the desirable species from, from, from my point of view, all of our mass producing species, um, the white oaks, the hickories, the red oaks, etc. There's a few little pockets of some other hardwoods that actually hopefully have some potential merchantable value down the road, i.e. poplars and, and a couple others that aren't quite mature yet, but the white pines have pretty much peaked. And so <clears throat> again, long story short, we're going to move forward with, uh, with the timber operation out there. And I'm, I'm really excited to see because as anyone that's an experienced deer hunter knows, not just deer, hell turkeys, um, as well, deer love clear cuts. And once you get, we gets that, I mean, in this case, white pine, once you get that mature white pine out of there, which is basically a biological desert, I mean, you you know, you know, there's not much food, there's not much bedding in a 30, 35 year old tract of white pine. Um, it provides a whole lot of forage. It provides a whole lot of cover for the deer and the turkeys. We even talked a little bit about, which you know, you'll find funny, is maybe a prescription fire plan, um, which is obviously right in my alley. And the guy that we had out there has a lot of experience with doing prescribed fire. So it's all early stages, man. I don't, I don't know exactly how it's all going to shake out. Again, as we've talked about, you and I aren't, we don't have any of the powers of control out there. We're not, we're not, um, you know, we're not the decision makers, but it's exciting stuff. So I think there's a, there's certainly a real opportunity from a timber perspective. And I'm excited to see what, what we can do and kind of tie this into some of the stuff that you and Evan and I have talked about from a habitat management and, and um, hunting perspective. Yeah, it was a little bit shocking news just because everything moves very slowly at that place. Um, but not, you know, not bad news. I'm actually kind of excited. It's going to completely change the landscape and change the habitat and the ecosystem in, in general. And it'd be pretty pretty cool, honestly. It's going to be a benefit, like you said. I mean, it is basically a, a desert within there as far as, like, the bedding's not great. I mean, they move through there constantly. Um but they don't hang out there. They don't bed there. They don't stay there. I think where that is on the farm, that whole side, honestly, as the bedding improves, we're going to pull deer from the uh, neighboring properties and it's going to give us a kind of a blank canvas to then set in, you know, food plots, you know, we're going to need to pull some stands down, but, uh, Oh damn, nine points not going to be there anymore. That's going to be weird. That's like an institution. Dude, that is an institution. I was actually thinking that was one of the ones I was thinking about because you're right. There's a few stands we're going to have to either move or pull down or whatever. But selfishly, I mean, hell, the, the my first area ever killed. That's what that stand's named after. I'm like, man, maybe we could just leave that little corner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, damn, it is going to change so much because, I mean, that's where you killed your first deer. James killed his big buck. I killed two deer with one bullet there. Not that I yeah. want to repeat that, but I mean, I've killed a lot of deer out of that stand. That's, that's crazy. Um, yeah, it, it, it is going to completely change the property. It's going to be very interesting to see it, but it's going to kind of be exciting in a way as well. Cause it's going to be almost like hunting a new place. I mean, it will essentially be hunting a new place. Um, the will. patterns are going to shift. I mean, 
you know, with the pressure, honestly, I mean, depending on the timeline and how it shakes out, it could be that whole side of the farm could be pretty much fucked during hunting season. Um, if they're hot and heavy after it, they're going to push them off the property or push them to the other side of the property. So, you know, who knows how that goes, but it, it, yeah, it's going to be going forward. It's, it's, I think it's going to be a net positive for the property. I think we're going to have a, a blank canvas to be able to, if we want to go try to, you know, set out Oaks, we can set out some hardwoods. We can, you know, kind of thinking for the, the next generation, obviously we won't, we won't see the fruits of, of really of setting out a bunch of Oaks, but just going forward to be cool. And then obviously food plots and everything else. So it's going to be good. Yeah, it really is. And it's one of the things that we talked about uh, or that I talked about with, with the consultant we had out there, which is right up my alley is not just this particular pine harvest, but also some of the long mid and long-term management practices that could potentially be done out there. This guy has a, has a background in not only timber, but, but wildlife Um, again, the, prescribed fire, et cetera. Um, he used to work for the, for the forest service and, and, uh, he's got decades of experience. So I'm, I'm excited personally, as you know, that's all that stuff's right up my alley. Um, that's, that's what my background is in. And so what I'm, you know, what he, on the feedback he gave me, he said, man, you know, there's really some opportunity here, not just for, for this short term window, but also for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And then another, you know, 30, 35, 40 years down the road, we have all these different um, opportunities out there. And with the, with the cattle lease that we have, we know we have X amount of the property that's tied up in pasture, but to be able to start to have various sections of the property in, in various stages of successional growth from a timber management perspective, and then also from a um, habitat perspective, be able to incorporate some of those, those food plots, like we've talked about, hopefully get, um, you know, some of that a little bit, a little bit more, um, prime than what we have now. It's exciting stuff. And I'm, I mean, it is going to drastically change the the piece of property that you and Evan and I have grown up on. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to be absolutely net positive. So I'm stoked, man. Yeah, it'd be cool. And honestly, give us, uh, you know, we, we didn't really do a great follow-up on it just because we haven't been filming and we've been so busy. But, you know, hopefully as this starts to take place, we can start building out some of that content as we – the journey and tell the story of what's happening. You know, get some footage, maybe get some footage of them logging and all that. But then also just, like, talk about, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what it's looking like. Maybe even, like, show some topo and, like, be able to tell that would be would be pretty fucking cool. And then be able to follow that up you know, over the next you know, year, two years, three years, whatever. And then the fruits of all that. Cause it's, it's stuff that happens. I mean, you know, a lot of folks have old family land or a piece of family land. And like, it's something that's pretty common is a certain point you harvest the timber and then you kind of start over and reset. So it'll be cool. It'll be really uh, interesting to look at. I need to talk to my old man. Cause I mean, shit, I think we've got some timber that's harvestable on, on the, the other piece of property that my family has on my dad's side. So he might be looking at that as well. I mean, timber prices are at fucking record highs right now. So definitely be something worth looking at. Yeah, it absolutely is. There's there's absolutely a market out there. Timber prices are are really good right now. I mean, white pine white white pine is not it's not quite record high, but it's it's very in demand. I mean, it, anyone out there that is involved in any sort of construction or buying materials can attest to the fact that it is it is difficult to find affordable materials right now. And so, um, 
it's something that is absolutely worth looking into if you have a piece of property. And the thing that I love about it is, which, you know, again, you know me, I'm a, I'm a bit of a, a wildlife and forestry nerd when it comes to this kind of stuff, but this is, they're all renewable resources and the wildlife that, that we pursue, that we chase, um, the deer, the turkeys, the squirrels, et cetera. And then not just, the, not just the game species, but also all the non-game species, the songbirds, um, all those things, they're, they're highly adaptable. And there's a lot of species out there that, that thrive on the disturbance. They, they thrive on that, that, um, that change, you know, a lot of people have this idea in their head that mature forest is sexy. And a lot of times it is, but landowners have decisions to make at times. And if, if you have a piece of property and the time is right and, you know, a timber harvest is something that you want to incorporate as part of your management plan, I think it's something that's absolutely worth looking into and i'm i definitely think your old man would be wise to it's a good time to do it and i'm excited to see what happens on our uh, our family farm yeah it's gonna be cool to to track it and see it and shit if it just based on the fact that it's our family and how slow things move that might be happening about the time i'm leaving it could be kind of crazy leaving and then coming back it looks completely different i'll miss the whole process we'll see how that, that pans out based on timelines and stuff but it's going to be interesting it's going to be uh definitely definitely a big change but one that's probably needed honestly at this point but yeah man we're uh kind of winding down here and you want to go ahead and close it out with any thoughts yeah dude it's been good to catch up it's been a it's been a hectic month or or a little more since you've had a, you and i've had a chance to do this so um i think we got some some exciting stuff on the books here and I'm hoping to, to uh, finish out 2021 Turkey season strong. I hope Evan and you have a blast out there chasing birds out West. I wish I could join you out there. Uh, definitely, definitely going to do that at some point, hopefully maybe as soon as next year, but um, it's been good to catch up, man. Not next year. I won't be here. Oh shit. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's come out. That's another recent change since you and I have last talked or at least, it's like more it solidified crazy. now, yeah. Yeah, more solidified. So, yeah, it's been crazy times around here, man. A lot of moving parts. Yeah, definitely. I mean, from personally, professionally, everything, it's all shifting. Um, you know, with that, you know, we've kind of touched on it in previous episodes, but the, the development of the uh, men and women's gym lines. And so may, the biggest thing is this is the new women's lines coming out. So definitely be on the lookout for that. We, uh, we're sitting here uh, – probably looking at the next couple of weeks. I'm not really sure, but I've got to find, you know, models and all that sort of stuff, which is kind of, kind of weird. Um, I haven't had to find female models before, so it's going to be a interesting process, but get some product photos and get some stuff up and then get, uh, get that rolling. And that's a pretty big, this is probably our biggest single drop to date um, as far as what the order price and the number of, of SKUs that are dropping. So this is going to be pretty cool. Um, we'll, I think we're going to come close to almost doubling, well, probably 50% increase in our SKUs, which will be pretty cool coming at one time. And then uh, got big things in the works going forward. So we got a lot on the horizon with HLE. Definitely reach out and let me know, y'all, if you have any ideas or any suggestions, anything you want to see, and we'll start working. And I know I've gotten a lot of requests for like YouTube content and all that, and it's it's something we want to do, and it's on the books for like – to happen, but it's really just a timing thing. Um, and just honestly, we've got 
hours and hours of footage that it's just not getting edited yet. So I'm going to look for some, some, you know, different folks to get some editing done potentially and, and just look at, at getting the YouTube channel up and running. Um, but I've got some big news we'll drop next week with Pete. And then I think we're going to have several podcasts and we might even start doing, you know, every other week or every couple of weeks doing two a week as we stack up a bunch of guests. And I've got a lot of, a lot of cool guests on the horizon. Uh, but as always, if you guys want to check out me and my personal life, what's going on, you can follow me at luke.d.cox on Instagram and then follow the Hunt, Lift, Eat page at Hunt, Lift, Eat Official. Uh, definitely follow the Instagram page if you're not. That's where you push out most of the new product drops, all the information, sales, all that shit comes out through Instagram. Um, the website, as always, is uh, huntlifteat.com. And leave us a rating review. Uh, that's what runs off this podcast. And I just realized we forgot to shout out our favorite fucking mortgage officer. So he's getting it at the end of this one. Um, Casey that's Burns. Funny, man. I just I just texted that or I just sent that to you in the chat. I just realized at the same time I was like, fuck, we gotta remember to shout out Casey. We gotta get better yeah. with that, dude. Got to shout out Casey. So um right now, y'all, I mean, obviously there's a lot of a lot of stuff in the news about investing and cryptocurrency and all this stuff, right? You know, it's it's all this money and, and people are making a lot of money in these different avenues, and that's awesome. That's good. Honestly, I've got some money in crypto, I've got some money. I'm even playing a little bit of the Doge game. But what is tried and true and what always is just real, no pun intended here, is real estate, right? Real estate, people are always going to need to have houses, they're always going to need to live. And so as you're looking at either putting your money somewhere so it can grow with appreciation, so you can cash flow through rental properties, or so you can just live in the house, um, Casey Burns is the guy to talk to. He works for Prime Lending, and he's absolutely one of the best in the business. I've worked with several mortgage lenders and he is by far the best. He makes it the easiest. He has an educator's heart and has no problem walking you through the steps, teaching you, helping you out, even if you're not going to actually use him. He'll just take the time because he gives a shit and he's a good fucking dude. Uh, Perry, you want to touch on a little bit of your experience with him? Absolutely. It's, it, it was it was a, an absolutely pleasant experience. It was a, it was a genuine... Um, honestly, man, it was... I went into my refi expecting it to be a bit of you know one of those just absolute hassles one of those things you dread doing and casey from start to finish made it made it seamless i mean it was it was easy um, i was blown away with his professionalism with his knowledge anytime i had a question i could shoot him a text give him a call and he was right there on top of it with an answer had the information i needed and it was it was a it was an absolute you know he was an absolute pleasure to work with so i know evan has used him a bunch. Obviously you have, and we've been plugging him here for a minute. He's a guy that we know we've known for, for a while. We trust him. Uh, we believe in, in, um, in his, his model. We believe in him. And for any of y'all out there looking at your different real estate needs, whether it be a refi, um, primary residence, or looking to do some investing, real estate investing, hit up Casey Burns. He'll take care of you. You guys can reach Casey by phone at 919-710-1864 or hit him up on email at casey.burns at primelending.com. Also, go, go go check out his website. You can see all of his reviews from all of his uh, past clients at www.closewithkasey.com. Definitely check him out. Let him know that you're coming to him from the Hunt Lift Eat podcast, that 
you heard it from Luke, and he'll definitely take care of you. He'll give you that uh, that friends and family discount. I'm just kidding, that's not a real thing, but he'll definitely take care of you and make sure that you're, you know, you're good to go with all your your investing or real estate needs. But yeah, y'all. So we're gonna go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, it's been awesome catching up with Perry, kind of giving you guys the lowdown on what's been going on in our lives, and we'll have some more kind of direct content going forward uh, next week. I think it'll be next week. We're going to have Pete on where we're going to talk about kind of the future of me and him. And he's actually just joined the team full on team member now and is going to be working with me going forward. We're partnering up on a bunch of stuff. It's going to be pretty cool and definitely excited to announce that and kind of talk about that with him. And then Andrew is flying into town. So you guys probably don't know that much about Andrew. Just hear us talk about him. But Andrew uh, was in the army with me. We came up together. Uh, He's, you know, one of my best friends in the world and he's coming in for the gender reveal. So we're going to do a podcast or two. We've got some, I got some cool topics that were given to me by some, uh, some of you guys to hit on. And then next week, Evan's coming into town. So we're going to do some in person. And then I got some cool guys, guests lined up. So like the month of May and June, they're going to be jam packed full of pods. And honestly, I'm going to burn through them. So we'll, we'll drop some out and uh, maybe combine some into longer episodes. So we don't, you know, overwhelm you guys with too many, but it's going to be cool. I'm really excited for where it's going. So as always, leave us a rating and review and let us know any suggestions you guys have for uh, podcast topics, subjects you guys want to hear about, all that stuff. So thanks, y'all.